This is Playing Pretend with Chris McIlvenny. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Playing Pretend with Chris McIlvenny, a podcast that will explore the lives and careers of actors, writers, directors, and creative people, allowing them to tell their stories and give some advice for anyone looking to get into the industry or anyone who's already in it. Each week, I will be joined by a different guest, but this week I am joined by TV, film, and theater actor and director, Rupert Hill. He's an absolute legend, gentleman. You're really gonna enjoy this one. So here you go, this is Rupert Hill. Rupert, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. You're actually the first, this is the first episode, so you're my guinea pig for uh, trying this out. So, um, yeah, uh, we first met okay. uh, when you... Um, cool. Yeah. When, when, That's an honour. When, uh, when you directed me in Arden Fringe, actually, you're immortalised in my room because you're on the poster. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, oh, yeah, that's um, cool. That's cool. So uh, I just wanted to start by asking you how you got into acting. Like in school, you grew up in Southampton. Uh, I was just wondering if uh, yeah. you, you always had a, a passion for acting or how did it come about? Um, yeah, it was pretty early on. Um, I, I, I remember I played, uh, I went to a very kind of wacky kind of um, uh, nursery uh, when I was three and it was kind of like this old lady who just ran this school from her house and uh, she had this massive house with loads of land and you know there was about 30 kids there and we were learning from three like French and I mean it was it was a wild place it was amazing and she used to write these plays and put them on and then uh, I got I, I one year I was playing I, I was three or four and I was playing an, an innkeeper and I don't remember this at all, but there are some photos of it. And um, and apparently afterwards, I just said to my mum, uh, "This is what I want to do." And it, and that's what, and it's at been the, there at ever the age since. Of like three or four. It was three or four. Yeah, it was, wow. I was pretty young. That's incredible. So then, well, saying that, saying that, go on. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Saying that, it does occur to me now um, that uh, in later life, I've, I've, I now own pubs. So maybe because I was playing an innkeeper and I said, this is what I want to do. I could yeah. have been referring to that. I don't know. One it. other. It's life imitating art. Um, so yeah. then, uh, so obviously in primary school and, and secondary school, were you involved in any uh, like drama groups uh, outside of school or anything like that? <clears throat> yeah. So um at uh, secondary school, uh, I was heavily into drama. In fact, it was really the only subject I really cared about. And, you know, I liked photography and art and um, science and English, but really it was just drama. I just wanted to be an actor and that, that was it. Um, uh, I, I played Oliver in Oliver Twist. And, and then because I wanted to do it so much, it, the natural progression was to join a drama club. And I joined the Ashcroft Arts Centre Drama Club in um Fareham, uh which is just outside southampton and that really opened my eyes because they they kind of did professional productions they had like budget they had like mm -hmm. um 
they had um, backing from b- businesses and, you know, local banks and stuff like that. They, so it was properly funded. And that was just amazing. You know, we were in musicals with full bands and stuff like that. And, and, and I just got lead after lead after lead from like 10 years old to about, to about 16. And, and, and so it was just so cool because we don't really have rep theater so much anymore. And, mm-hmm. and I, and it's a real shame that we don't, because I think that's where actors really hone their craft. Um, and, and this, this little drama club was kind of like my kind of juvenile version of, of rep. I mean, we would just do play after play after play and, and it, it was just wonderful. Yeah. See, when, when I was growing up uh, in Belfast, there's not really, anything like that there there's obviously um the musical societies and things like that but like if you can't sing what are you gonna do like i couldn't sing i uh joined a a a musical society was in lame is and they gave me a part a a one line and (laughs) that line i just practiced and practiced was horrendous couldn't sing it for my life but uh it's all i could do so there was no real option to do straight plays, just act. Uh, so it was really just in school that you you had to find that in yourself. Um, yeah. So so then after that, did you go to drama school? Did you train? Yeah, well, I went. To, so after that, I went to college to study like and kind of advanced theatre studies A level. So mm-hmm. it was it was um, which was uh, okay. The teachers weren't great. Um, they weren't really, really. It felt like the teachers were kind of failed drama students some of them and they were kind of bitter and like if you if you you know they 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 used to love kind of squashing your enthusiasm and I I never really understood why and uh, that that didn't really work out for me although I had I did media studies and I had a film studies teacher in in media studies and and he basically became my A-levels because he just wanted to talk to me about movies and like French films and like, and I, he just blew my mind. And we used to talk about Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese films and stuff like that. And he used to really, really, like, he was my, one of my favorite ever teachers. And so I kind of just sort of dis, discarded the, uh, the, the drama at A-level because they, the teachers were annoying me and, and just focused on this guy who was, we just used to love talking about movies. And that was a real eye opener. And then after that, yeah, then I started auditioning for drama schools and I didn't really get on with that either. Uh, maybe I was too young or too immature. I don't know. But I, I went for RADA and Lambda and Arts Ed and Central. And I just didn't do well at any of them. And I didn't get into any of them. So my teacher sort of said, look, why don't you take a year out and try again next year? And and I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to get to London as quickly as possible and and, and kind of live experience that. And so um, I got a place at Middlesex University to do a degree in uh, drama and theatre studies. So it wasn't even an acting course. And and my teacher did say, look, Middlesex is a great university. And I just took a punt and I just decided to go there. And I had mates who were at drama school and they used to we used to discuss what our courses were like. And I I ended up being so happy that I never went because I didn't like the sound of it. And I really loved the, I really loved studying plays and theory and practitioners and I got to do stand-up comedy and just all kinds of crazy things it was such a brilliant 
course and i met loads of brilliant people so i really have no regrets but yeah i didn't i didn't do the drama school route see i um like i was never really academic like i remember in school uh drama was the only one that i really cared about and then i auditioned when i was in the last year of school i auditioned for a, a school in uh, newcastle and all i needed was a c in drama in my a levels so then it just meant you've just given a 17 year old boy a free pass to not do any work for the rest <laughs> of the year so i literally yeah. all my mates were like always studying and i was just sitting there with my earphones in be like i'm in like i'm all good and then it never worked <laughs> out so that it was a it was a, oh, wow. a risky call um and then obviously i went to manchester so that worked out um so uh you said you you were more into the like pr- practitioners and stuff but in the uni did you were you <laughs> to put on plays and uh, was there a lot of practical in it yeah there was but and, and p- p- precisely for that reason so um it it was a very theoretical course but there was just a lot of art and everything was involved with it so you know you just used to study everything but from a from an acting perspective it was very much based around physical theater and jersey grotowski and or you know kabuki and all that kind of physical theater stuff which just blew my mind i loved it so much yeah. uh, so much so that i used to ask to go to lessons that w- weren't for me just so i could get more of it because i used to love it so much but then yeah alongside that um we were allowed to put on shows ourselves mm-hmm. and uh, i became very close with uh, a, a pal who w- started directing and he started putting on shows so we did we uh, we did hamlet uh wow. like a two and a half hour version of hamlet um and it was all extracurricular and you know it just blows my mind to think that we did that uh, yeah. and i was playing i was playing hamlet and at the same you know uh, in spare time alongside doing a degree i mean it was just crazy but um it was wonderful it was wonderful yeah well what what i've kind of learned is uh to be successful in this industry you have to have a work ethic like no other so doing those extracurricular things and putting on your own plays is kind of a necessity to keep your mind active, keep uh, like looking at different texts and different ways of doing things. It, it, it is so important for a development of yeah. an actor. Um, I, yeah, I always sure. felt like that, uh, even like reading different plays, even if you're not going to put them on, just reading different plays and, and watching as much stuff as possible at theatre as well is so so important so then after yeah. uh after university uh then wh- where did you go so i mean as you probably know you probably experienced this too you you get to the end of university and you're on such a massive high and then you just hit a massive low it's like a, the worst ever come down as you realize oh shit i'm in the real world now yeah uh, and and it was grim man it was uh i was signing on for the doll um and them saying uh, have you found any acting work and it's like <laughs> no i've not found any acting work and then uh i, I did get an agent really early on uh, an agent came to see me in my first ever show at at university mm-hmm. in my first year wow. and she, she she said i was just waiting for you to graduate before but i always knew i was going to offer ask you to join which was great but nothing came in nothing came in and it was like a year of nothing and then uh, a guy who was making an independent film on his own with with no money 
offered me like one of the leads in it and I jumped at the chance. So I moved out my flat and we, we filmed it in Derby for like a month and we just drank far too much and made this kind of all right film. And, and then I, then I, again, I had another realization and a come down back to earth um, because I went back to London and had nowhere to live. And so I was staying with friends and working in bars to try and, and then, you know, it was just grim and it was, it was fun, but it was, it was, it was hard. And then all of a sudden I got a new agent and then I got one advert, one advert came through and it was like a grand. That was like more money than I'd ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And, and then from then I just started getting more adverts. I did quite a few in a row. I ended up doing about six in a row and the, the money was really good. And, and then I got an episode of Doctors, and then back in those days, if you did something for the BBC, like I remember I did Doctors and then EastEnders, Holby City. It was just like BBC, BBC, BBC. And and then, and then you know, bit parts here and there. And the more you did, the more came in. I mean, it really is like a, a, it's so difficult to get that first step. But once yeah. you get that first step, it, it, it became so much easier. I don't know if it's still like that now, but it, that's how it was then. Mm-hmm. And then I got a part on the Channel 5 um, soap, Family Affairs. Right. And that was, you, you know, during all these bit parts that I'd done previously, I was subsidizing that with uh, bar work. I was working in a, in a bar. And then this was the first time it was like, oh, I've got like a three-year contract. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm giving up everything to pu- to pursue this. And and that was that was kind of it, man. I mean, it, it all changed then and... Um, that was cool and then I left that because I didn't want to be in a soap anymore and my first audition was for Coronation Street (laughs) so it was like oh and I got and I got offered that and so I did another four years on Coronation Street so I did seven years of soap back to back and and then yeah that and then that 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 was sort of that whole period of my kind of 20s was 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 doing tv it was kind of really fun yeah with um like I had a similar experience, like after drama school, like you're on that high uh, because you do, you're constantly doing shows, you're doing your showcase, you're meeting with agents, all this exciting stuff. Like uh, when I was in third year, we did showcase and then I got a part in a play in Liverpool. So I couldn't do the end of year show, but I was like, I'm in a play like this is amazing. And then all this stuff. And I was like, I'm going to move to London. It's going to be amazing. Moved to London, worked 40 to 45 hours in a bar to pay for rent, had two auditions. I was just like, what am I doing here? This is it. it Cause it's really London's one of those places. It's quite a lonely place. Um, when you're there and if you don't know yeah. that many people, you're kind of, your life is your own and you're just kind of moving along. Uh, so um, with Coronation Street, um, like at that time, like it's obviously it's such a big show, like, but at that time, it was before the time of Netflix, Amazon Prime, the constant uh, amount of things that are being made now. So there's so much more stuff out there. But then what, what was it, 2004 you joined Coronation Street? So yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So at that time, it was uh, such a big show. So uh, obviously, there was fame that came with that. Like, uh, what was that like? Um, Well, I'd had a bit of that from Family Affairs because it it didn't have anywhere near the same viewing figures. But 
mm-hmm. it was pretty pretty big um i lived in in clapham um and um we filmed it in south wimbledon and as you know um london is massively multicultural and mm-hmm. i had no idea but like um family fairs just had a huge black audience so right. i was just getting recognized by black people all over the place and it was really strange at first but you know you got used to it and it was kind of cool but that was a kind of nice level of fame because it was just like every now and again someone would say something and you know a kid in his early 20s it was really it was nice it was nice um and then obviously so I had a little taste of it and but then nothing really prepared me for for Corey because it just it was a it was a really big time for coronation street as well it was winning everything and yeah. and obviously i came in as bradley walsh's son and he was a big name already and then ian mckellen came into the show while while i was there yeah. and that brought loads of attention to it and and so yeah you just and 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 the, and the studio was right in the center of manchester so you know you just nipped out to get something for lunch and it, you know it could be absolute carnage mm-hmm. um so yeah it was pretty mad but you know i have to say 99 percent of people out there were just lovely and they just wanted a photo or they wanted um you know to um to just say hello and and that was absolutely fine you know occasionally yeah. you'd get you occasionally you get someone that you really didn't want to speak to um but yeah it was pretty nuts but um I, i'd say it wasn't really the fans of the show that were the problem it was really like the press became a, a problem mm-hmm. and paparazzi like photographers and that that was really frustrating yeah because it's crazy like magazines here write stories about uh soap characters as if they're real people like there's mm. magazines that are like gossip but it's like what happened in coronation street but obviously like you're on the tv you're in people's living rooms three times a week like they know you they feel like they know you so well so that's why they they feel like they can come up and and speak to you and yeah. i'm with the press like Obviously, there, there's good things that come with it, like obviously like award ceremonies and I'm sure you were invited to loads of different events and stuff. So that's cool. But uh, did it get to a stage where they were evading into your personal life? Yeah, well, I, w- I was part of the phone hacking scandal um i had my yeah yeah, i had my phone hacked they were reporting false stories about me um that they uh there are a few uh, paparazzi guys who i still see every now and again just walking around who are really nice and i always say hello to them and have a little chat with them Mm -hmm. but it got to the point where they were like teenagers who had just like bought cameras who were like following me home and it was like that was just not on do you know what i mean they had no, no idea of how to behave um, but what I am glad of is that this was this was before Twitter and Facebook and and kind of mobile phones with with decent cameras and, and everyone filming everything. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm so glad for that because uh, that Twitter and Facebook would, would have just changed everything. Do you know what I mean? Where you can literally got people getting in contact with you whenever they want. And, and yeah. I was I really feel lucky that I missed that because that just wasn't wasn't there. And, and with everyone having a, a camera in their pocket, it almost makes everyone like a paparazzi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone cool. did. Everyone did have a camera. The, the phones did have camera. And this wasn't. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm making it. Sound oh, yeah. Like it wasn't Victorian the 1970s. Stuff. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it was it wasn't the same. It wasn't the, it, it wasn't the same level of um, selfies and mm-hmm. photos. So then you left Coronation Street. Uh, was that just because you were kind of sick of, of doing soaps? No, I, I mean, it was, 
it's a very difficult time you know in your 20s you, you haven't really figured out who you are and and I don't know I was making a lot of bad decisions like I wanted to be I was in a band and I thought that my band was going to get signed and I was going to be like a rock star or something and and that was kind of foolish because I I don't think I really realized what an opportunity I had been given with Coronation Street and and even though I was always very professional and I tried to do my best I I, I didn't I didn't really take that job uh, where it could have taken me. Do you know what I mean? Like I, it, it's brought me so much work, um, but I, I could have played it better, I think, in hindsight. But then I was in my 20s. So, you know, what are you going to do? Um, so I didn't leave because I hated, I, I partly left because the the press intrusion into me and my wife, Jenny, like was because Jenny was in the show, too. And that was just getting too much. So we, we were kind of done with that. And then also I really wanted to do theater. I really missed doing theater. I hadn't, every single job I'd had as a professional actor had been on television, every right. single one from, from, from leaving university. And I really missed theater and I didn't know if I could still do it. Um, and so I left Corrie and my first job was a, a play about Northern Soul uh, at Bolton Octagon. Mm -hmm. which I just loved. We had like a live band and it was, it was so great and it was terrifying for me, but I, it, it, it really brought me back and I, I loved it. I loved it. Um, but then, and then I did a few more bits and pieces and I was auditioning for quite a lot of TV, but then the economic crash happened mm -hmm. in 2007, 2008 and everything stopped. Like they were just, there wasn't getting any auditions for anything whatsoever. And I think every industry was on its backside and it things were things were rough man and me and my wife were living in my flat and we we all of our money from Coronation Street just disappeared and we were like what are we going to do and we were looking like the bank might take up our, our, our flat and we were like where where are we going to go people still recognize us in the street uh, it's not like yeah. we can just go and get a job in a in a bar because we just get so much grief and and it, it was a lot of sleepless nights and it was very very stressful it really was um but at the same time i'd been living this kind of this crazy like privileged existence through all my 20s and i i am in in hindsight i'm kind of glad that i got brought back down to earth and back yeah. to the real world um and and fortunately we both managed to stay afloat and get enough theater work as it sort of started to come back and bits mm -hmm. of tv here and there that we, we managed to stay afloat um and obviously that's when i got into um owning the first pub the castle hotel um because the guy who played guitar in my band said you know this has come up for sale do you want to get it with me mm -hmm. and, and i just said Everyone, everyone said to me, don't do it. It's a terrible time to open a pub or in the middle of a global recession, don't do it. And I was like, I've got to do something. And if yeah. I'm behind a bar and I own it, I'm not going to be intimidated by anyone taking the piss. So yeah. I was like, it, you know, I, I'm okay. So, so I did that with my business partner, Johnny, and it was just a success from the get-go. And then, you know, however many pubs later here I am and it's completely saved saved me the, the doing that with my with 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 my money and was that that first pub uh is the type of pub that there would be gigs on is there like a, a space uh like a yeah. stage and stuff well we, we we took it on and it was like half a pub basically it was in a massive need of, of renovation but we had to prove to the brewery that we could make a success of it and then they pumped like two hundred and fifty thousand into a refurb 
and uh, we have like a mass uh, a, a a really massively popular live music venue in the back there now and um gulliver's the same um mm-hmm. uh, the eagle we had with another music venue and then we we got the parlor in chalton which we won the best roast dinner in the country in 2012 uh, which was nuts and then i've now got the royal exchange theater the rivals bar and restaurant there and we've just we've just got a new one in Cheadle now, which uh, yes. is obviously not open, but we're we're just refurbing it, hoping for the uh, return to normality. Yeah, I was going to say because so you're an actor, you're a director, but also you own pubs. Like you're kind of in two industries which have just been decimated by this pandemic. Like, yeah. how has it been trying to to, to keep it's- it going? It's been really hard, uh, particularly with the rivals at the Royal Exchange, because we had like nearly 50 members of staff and obviously we couldn't keep all of them mm-hmm. on. Um, so we tried to keep as many on as we could on on furlough. But, you know, even when people are on furlough, you still have to pay their PAYE and pensions and yeah. and, and whatnot. So uh, and also, you know, when things get back to normal, it's going to be a while before we need 50 members of staff again. That's you know, it, yeah. everyone's going to be gradually getting back to it so that that was really horrible um but but in general we're we're staying afloat the, go- the government help has been really welcome i mean the music venues that i've got have all had arts council grants which has yeah. saved which has saved them um so fingers crossed if we can get back to normal this year uh we, we should be okay but the thing that scares me more than the hospitality industry is and the tv industry is is the theater industry because i think that is going to be really really tough to get because that is almost like everyone's starting again i mean it's just it's just completely on its on on its knees that's it like tv and film they now have like on set and stuff they would have like covid coordinators and like like they're trying to keep as safe as possible but in a theater that's just not possible because you've got people sitting right beside each other and whatever even if you do it socially distance the the amount of tickets that you sell doesn't really cover your overheads and stuff like that so it's it, it'll be a welcome return when when it can return but uh it's just who knows like we're, it's we're so hard to later. make money it's so hard for producers to make money at, at the best of times with theater do you know what i mean you'll get the anomalies like hamilton that'll come along and it'll just be sold out every single night but mm-hmm. um even the full monty which which i directed uh but i was also in it had huge houses every night but it's still it wasn't a done deal that it was just gonna smash box office records and make mm-hmm. tons of money because it's just theater is just really precarious and it's really important that we reinvigorate theater for younger people because it it's still very popular with the the elder the the, the more old generations mm-hmm. you know the, the mid to elder generations it's 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 still popular there but um you know being at the royal exchange a lot you know you there is a real lack of younger people coming into theater and i think that is what if theater has to start again then they should really be focusing on uh, enticing the next generations to, to to come into buildings that's it like uh i find it so interesting because obviously maybe i'm biased because i'm an actor uh but like there's people i know my age and who have never been to the theater but don't have an interest in the theater and i'm like if you went it's so much better than a movie i'm like i promise you you will love it 
but it's just I, I I don't know what it is and how you in, entice uh, that generation to to come and enjoy because they've got Netflix and, and all the rest of the unlimited supply of entertainment that they're like well why would I pay twenty quid to go see a play it's it's a it's a hard one um I wanted to talk about the full Monty so you were cast in that uh yeah. first um so you did a uk tour of that before you yeah, directed so, yes I, I did it for a year and a half um and that was it was just the most fun um yeah so we toured everywhere i mean i had done a few tours by that point but this was like uh, by far the most popular i mean it was really really well received and Again, we used to get lots and lots, lots of women went to see it, obviously, more, more than men, but um, a lot of women who'd never been to the theatre before, like you were saying, and I think, mm-hmm. that, you know, what, what we were saying about how do we get people to go, you have to give them something that they've not seen before, and and I think ticket prices is, is, a, is a really important thing, you know, it's got to become cheaper. Uh, to yeah. go but if it comes if it gets cheaper then it needs to be busier um yeah. but anyway yeah but yeah so the full monty uh yeah that was a year and a half of doing that and it was wonderful and great and then uh the idea was that i was going to be another director's assistant um because i had very little experience um but it didn't pan out that way and uh david Pugh, who was the producer just said no i want you to just have a crack at, at directing it so that was quite scary, but because I knew the play inside out, it, mm-hmm. you know that that helped hugely, and it was a, a phenomenal experience. I really want to do it again. Yeah. So how you, how how does that work? So if you you do a tour for a year and a half of a play and it's directed in a certain way, but by whoever directed you, then you come on board as a director. How much do you change of the original direction that you were given, and what ways that work? Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, I think I didn't I didn't reinvent the wheel and start, you know, what I mean, start with a clean slate and completely change it. I think I I kept the bits that I knew worked and I, I and I changed a hell of a lot that I thought didn't. And I just tried to make it um, more vibrant and more fast paced and, and, and more enjoyable. I, I changed a lot of the music, a lot of the kind of special effects if you like I, um, I had a, an entirely new lighting designer and sound designer um, which I work, worked really closely on changing and obviously with a different cast you know some of the cast were the same but a lot of them were different and you get a completely new thing through that as well but essentially the full Monty I knew it worked when it worked and there was no point trying to fix something that yeah. didn't need fixing um, and and the audience really are the integral to the the end of the the end of the uh, of the play it's mm-hmm. where i think the play surpasses the film actually because the audience become part of the show that's it and it, and it really the the atmosphere just goes nuts like proper nuts and it's really amazing to watch because a, a friend of mine uh millie who was in the play that you directed um she worked oh, yeah. in the uh in the theater in manchester so we got free tickets to go see the full monthly and it was the one that you directed <laughs> And uh, so it's, it was weird for me because I was like, I think I'm the ugly fella in this section, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't care because it was a great, it, it, it like, because it's a great story and it's a great mm. play. But then the ending, like you said, it's it's different from the movie because in the movie, you're kind of living vicariously through the women who are in the, the show or the men who are on the stage doing mm. it. 
But then when you're in the theatre, it's that's they're they're right in front of you doing it. Um and it the atmosphere in the place, it was like a rock concert. It was crazy. People just yeah. went wild. Uh, yeah. what what was it like? I've always wanted this. What's it like just getting naked on stage every night? Yeah, it, the well, the first time we had to do it in front of each other in rehearsal right. was just like mortifying because it wasn't even like we weren't even lit. We were just in like this sort of this church kind of building, this huge building, and it was just the the boys and the director and the choreographer, and right, we knew we had to get naked, and 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 everyone was stressing about it, and everyone was just like, right, make sure you get a towel to me as quickly as possible, and everyone was being really like arsy, and then we ended up doing the dance and threw the hat off and we were all completely naked and then we all just started like cracking up and we all just started run, running around <laughs> and then really and then really from then on it was just fine and you know it, it was kind of the more we did it the more it just became so fun and with the reaction that we were getting from the audience and you were right to say it's like a rock concert I mean that's how it felt on stage it was just like the roar of mm-hmm noise coming from the audience was so extraordinary and every night it never got boring it was always really really fun and it was and because you knew it was the end of the play as well and in like 10 minutes you can you're going to be in the pub it was just like the best feeling it was so Um, funny to me because like they know what's coming they it's the full monthly what else you it's gonna happen and it's like they don't know when when it goes off and they go ah Oh my god i'm like what did you expect uh but yeah no it, the atmosphere I've, ne- I've actually never been to a show like that like where the atmosphere is so electric that ending it was just unbelievable yeah um yeah so uh so with directing did with, that obviously wasn't your first directing job but did you always have an interest in directing um yeah i mean i i, I... I, d- I did a I did um, a horror film like a low budget horror film called Entity um, a few years ago and I got really interested in talking to the DOP uh, about what camera he was using and learning about digital photography and, and and then he was sort of saying to me you know you can get digital cameras that are affordable and they look like you know if you get the right kind of grading in the edit then it can look like cinema and and we talked about that and the director talked to me about how he got the money to fund it and and I came back from shooting that film thinking like I want to direct my own film so I started writing a short film and I just put out on Facebook um can anyone help me I'm looking for a crew and I just want to make my own film and I got a DOP out of it who had his own gear I got a producer out of it I got a sound guy out of it I got a lighting guy out of it I mean, it was it was incredible. And then mm-hmm. that's when I made a, a few short films and then we went on to make like a really low budget feature. So I was directing and writing for for film. Mm-hmm. And and then when it came to theater, I, I, I directed. Um, I did really love directing, by the way, that that that's what I wanted to say about that. And then I and then I wanted to direct some theater. So I did uh, JB Shorts and then it was directing you guys. Mm-hmm. I think. And then uh, did that come before the full Monty? I think it was during the uh, full Monty, actually. Oh, during. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So basically I, I was, I, I just wanted to, I, I didn't want to give up acting or anything. I just, 
I really wanted to do because when I when I did start directing the Full Monty, I was I also had a part at the Royal Exchange in Death of a Salesman, right, and I yeah. was literally I was like during rehearsals I was spending all week with um, the Full Monty crew in London, and then Sarah Franken, bless her, just allowed me to just come up for the odd day to to work on my scenes mm-hmm. um, with Don Warrington, uh, and so thank God she let me do that because I loved doing both of those jobs, and the fact I got to do them simultaneously was a real treat. Well, what's crazy is you were doing those two and directing oh, us yeah, all at the same time because I remember right. we came to the Royal Exchange for a read through of the play with Ian Kershaw and uh, you, I'm pretty sure you were in your costume it was like in between like rehearsals <laughs> or whatever and then uh, we were like oh yeah fair play to you for taking the time out and you were like you had to go to like Sheffield or something to go see the boys oh, yes. who were doing the full monthly I was like she's he's busy that's crazy <laughs> Yeah, just yeah, a lot not, going not on. Not so much like that now. Not so yeah. much like that these days. Actually, so just before lockdown, you were doing uh, Lady Chatterley's Lover. Um, mm. Had you started the run of that or were you just yeah. in rehearsals? Oh, really? We were about half, halfway through the tour. Um, that was a real shame. Um, it, that was... A just a joyous job that's where like the stars are line and every every single member of the cast and crew just absolutely loved each other and we were having such a ball you know we were in Malvern and spending the days walking up the mountains and then getting to do the show in the evening and going to the pub and having a few drinks and we were just having such a great time and then we knew this virus was on around and after a while I started thinking we're not we're not going to finish this and we, we were due to finish the tour at theater by the lake uh in the lake district which i know is beautiful but i've never been there before and so i was so looking forward to that as like the, fi- the final week but uh, yeah it got pulled in guildford um and we were just all completely devastated you know but it was it, it was kind of it kind of helped in a weird way that the rest of the industry was also pulled on the same evening. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. just, we were, like in, we were all boat. in it together. But, yeah. But it was a real shame. And, and I would do anything to just be able to pick, pick up where we left off and just carry on. So, yeah. you know, you never yeah. know, maybe one day it'll come back. I really hope so. It was a joy. And and throughout lockdown, you've been doing like radio plays and stuff. I, I, yeah. how, does, how does that work? Uh, mate, I did, I did. I did a very smart thing. Basically, as soon as I realised we were going to be locked in our houses, I, I just, I mean, I had, I had a fair amount of equipment already from when I was in a band and we used to record, you know, ourselves. And so I had, I had a bits of equipment, but I just bought some extra bits and bobs and got and got the best equipment I could possibly do, and then built a kind of studio up here. And then I just wrote to the. Uh, directors at radio four that i've worked with before and just said look i don't know if it's any if it's if it's worth me telling you this but i've got this microphone and i've got this um computer and this uh, this equipment and blah 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 and uh, and i bought one of these things which is a an iso cube which you just stick on your mic and it, it works like a kind of soundproof um so it's just little things like that and and then um, amazingly, they just started coming in. And I think me and my wife did about five or six during the last the last year. And um, and then 
and and then voiceovers too we, um, we both are with the same voiceover agent and then we started doing them from home so it was just such uh we lucked out basically it was it was shrewd of me but it was really lucky as well yeah it's uh because it, it is strange because like so many actors are out of work but when you're able to do things during this time it's just an absolute blessing not only to have something to do but you're earning you're doing work and you're yeah. doing what you want to do um so like logistically how does it work like are is it like a radio play are you acting with other actors that aren't in the room yeah well funnily enough the, the funnily enough the last one i did was um called stone which is coming out soon actually and it was with um hugo spear uh playing detective stone mm -hmm. and he played my part in the film monty uh, which was, was really, really? <laughs> which was really bizarre. Uh, or no, I should I should reverse that. I played his part in Full Monty. Nice. Uh, um, anyway, that was cool. But basically, it's a bit like Zoom, but it's all audio, so you can hear every you can hear every actor, and you can hear the director and the writer, um, and whoever else. And there's normally a sound engineer, and you can you can record your end, and they record their end. Um, they don't, but it, the quality seems so good now that they don't tend to need your personal recordings anymore like i think they've just managed wow. to get through that so it's really weird so you, you you've got your script and you're acting and uh, you know so if i'm acting alongside hugo and he's in london and i'm in manchester but we're doing a really intimate scene together like we're in the same room i mean it really is it's it's brilliant it's incredible and mm -hmm. um it's yeah again it's really nice working from home Re you know really really nice thing to do yeah um Stone actually, uh, we were we we were able to when we were in drama school we were able to sit in on a uh, recording of that. Uh, once uh, our teacher Rachel um, was able to facilitate that, and I found it so interesting because I I'd never understood how a radio play works and how it goes on, and like there was there was a uh, they were recording a thing in a car, and they're just sitting in a car. And, and we were sitting there and they're just holding the mics and they're proper into it, like acting. And like, it seems like there should be a camera, but but there's not. It's just, uh, it's so interesting that that type of acting is so, and it's so lucrative as well from, from what I hear. I've never done one, but uh, I've heard it's just, it's such an interesting, different way of doing things. Radio yeah, play. I mean, what, so they were in an actual car? Yeah. Oh, really? And that's and like, unusual. Yeah. Oh, really? So yeah, yeah they had the, uh, the there was a, a bit where they got into a car and then drove. It was so interesting. I was oh, like, okay, what so is they were it? they were out they were outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There wasn't a car yeah, in the studio. No, no. I was going to say <laughs> yeah. that would be crazy. Um, because I've done I did one uh, uh, which was recorded on location at Edinburgh Festival. So it literally, we were just walking around the streets and with a guy with a boom. And um, so the background was just a cacophony of, of noise, but that was kind of cool. But that, that's quite, that's quite unusual. Um, normally, you know, you have somebody, you're, you're in a studio and what they add on the car later or they add on the doors and you know what I mean? It's, it's all done in post. Um, yeah. It, yeah. No, it is. It's great. It's great work. Um, I just wanted to ask you, uh, obviously during this time, we all have so much time to watch things, listen to things, read different stuff. Uh, I was just wondering what 
are you watching at the minute? What are you listening to? Reading? Yeah. Um, I think you I'm would reading, recommend. I'm reading uh, a Haruki Murakami book called 1Q84, uh, which is actually three books in one. And I'm, I'm listening to the audio version of it, but it, it's 47 hours long. Oh, um, but it's pretty, it's really good. It's like a kind of, uh, kind of thriller. It, it's great. Really, really good. Um, that's what I'm reading at the minute. Um, and I've loved Small Axe on BBC. I play the Steve McQueen films. Mm -hmm. um, they were amazing. I watched The Dig this morning. Um, on netflix which was phenomenal ray fines is absolutely phenomenal in that um saint francis i thought was amazing baby teeth was amazing uh portrait of a lady on fire was amazing these are all movies they're all on netflix oh no portrait's not that's on something else um yeah so i'm trying to watch as many films as i can i um um and listening music wise i'm listening to gorillas new one phoebe bridges bridger bridges bridger anyway she's great um and yeah then yeah i can't think but you know i'm keeping into all of keeping all yourself busy um yeah, yeah so you you said you were in a band are you still making music uh um yeah i mean i still write songs but i don't not to the same degree as before you know we, we were really chasing it so i'm not in a band anymore but i do do still play guitar every day and i do write songs when they come to me um I, i'm a, I, i'm actually um I'm, I'm i'm trying to flirting with the idea well me me and kirsch are flirting with an idea of trying to make some kind of non-musical musical so i don't write songs that you would ever expect to in a musical but we're trying to think of maybe you could have a musical where the songs are just like normal songs and mm -hmm. and and you know kirsch is a fantastic writer so if we if we could get something off the ground you know just a small thing that could be put on that somewhere like hope mill or 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 somewhere like that um that would be yeah. really cool but you know we're way off way off yet but that would be fun okay and just to finish off i just want to ask have you any advice for any aspiring actors or directors or anyone who's looking to get into the industry or already in it and are struggling at the minute? What would be your advice? Oh, it's really tough. I, I do really, really sympathise, particularly particularly with you guys, your your generation, because you know you've done the work and you're you're ready to rock now, and then this comes along and completely screws everything up, and 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 it's going to be. It's going to be a while till it gets back to normal. But I suppose the good things are that everyone's going to be wanting to make content. And there, there, there is a lot, uh, there, there will be a lot of work out there. Eventually, it's just going to take some time. So I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said, you know, if you can make your own work, that's really, really important. And I think getting a decent DSLR, digital DSLR camera, that can record movie in HD uh, and some different lenses, buying some kit for your home so you can do self tapes, things like one of these kind of lights and, um, and a decent camera 
and a decent microphone so when if you do get self tapes you can you can make them to quite a high spec i think learning how to edit is really useful mm-hmm. um just learning the technical side of the of the thing because i think that if you know how to use a camera for example it might really help with the way you you perform in front of one when you know how it works and mm-hmm. and i think um and and i think it's really difficult to not get desperate for a job so if you don't get auditions very often when they do come along it can just mean so much that it it can screw you up and yeah. it's and and you need to keep calm and go i may get it i may not get it you know it's not the end of the world but it's really difficult when you're traveling down to london and spending however much money on a train ticket and and you know so it's really really tough but you need to kind of keep yourself grounded not let it overwhelm you and, and if it's making you unhappy, like if it's making you physically unhappy or depressed or anxious, then have a word with yourself and decide whether or not this is actually something you really want to do, because it is a really, really difficult occupation. And my other advice is the the thing that saved me so much was having another another interest. And it's not just about the financial support that owning pubs has given me. It's also the distraction of of, of, of working and, 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 and having another uh, place to direct my, my interest and my attention uh, has been so important. So I'm not just waiting for the phone to ring. I, I keep myself busy with other things. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. Rupert, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on for the first episode. You're a legend. Uh, thank you so much. Cheers, Chris. So there you have it, folks. That was Rupert Hill, an absolute gentleman. Next week, I'm joined by Geraldine Hughes, a Hollywood actress from right here in West Belfast. So join us next week for that. If you could, tell your friends about the podcast, like and subscribe to the video. This has been Playing Pretend with Chris McIlvenny. I'll see you next week. <laughs>